0: Welcome to the Xenothesis Podcast. My name is Richard Acton, and my co-host is...
1: Michael Glinker. Hello, everyone.
0: Okay, uh, so let's uh, dive in. Uh, We're talking about um, Octavia Butler's Xenogenesis Trilogy, Book 1, Dawn, Part 1, Womb, Chapter 3. So, uh, would you want to pick up with uh, where we were at last time, Michael?
1: Yeah, um, so the last time we've uh, discussed... um, two chapters of the book without beginning introduction. I made some prediction for, for this chapter. So maybe I should begin with the predictions while I don't to, to this chapter. So I said that this chapter will probably talk about Lily slowly getting used to Chaya, And until she's ready to leave the the room or the, the sort of the cage she was in. And I said that the moment she's going to leave the room, there's going to be a massive shock because it's got, she's going to see how many... Aliens are there with humans intermingling with them and um Chidaya will show her on the ship, so maybe and maybe Lilith will meet the alien race leader. That that was mm-hmm. the prediction. Um
0: <laughs> We don't quite get yet to the, the leaving the space bit. No, but no the, we the don't. That's the there. thing.
1: Like i uh, I think I only hit um the 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 first maybe yes sort of yes. Uh, yes, but the rest of them were. Uh, meh, I work. think a little
0: bit, a little bit further along in the in in the progression of the book. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, I don't think we should penalize you over much for having a <laughs> compressed time horizon on when stuff's going to happen.
1: I guess so. I don't know. Maybe I'm used to reading books that have much faster pacing. I don't know that, yeah. uh, but. You know, I I'm sure what I predict is gonna happen, I just don't know which chapter it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Um there's a couple of things I wanted to clarify from last time. I think I said um that Octavia, the author, is was an only child from the age of seven, which is a nonsensical sentence once passed. Um so she was an only child and she lost her father at the age of seven. Just so that if that weird expression bugged anyone is clarified and the other thing i wanted to point out was i kind of said that biology is handled less well in sci-fi often than like chemistry and physics and i said it was because biology was kind of i didn't want to imply that it's like more difficult than chemistry and physics i not to insult our like chemistry physics colleagues right um but it it's different in the way that it's difficult is kind of what i wanted to say there in that uh, physics and chemistry are more constrained by first principles so you can kind of fact check it more easily whereas biology is
1: um, unpredictable in yes cases.
0: very unpredictable <laughs> relatively speaking um, the sort of rules that define what's possible in the space of biology um, are like a very the actual reality of biology explores a very small portion of what's possible in biology so it's much more contingent there's a lot more kind of trivia that you have to know in order for um in order to sort of uh, you know know what's kind of a bit more possible right whereas w- once you've got some of the like basic math down for some of the physics and chemistry stuff you can kind of fact check it biology you really have to kind of delve deep because there's always some weird crazy thing that you weren't expecting that comes up um,
1: you have to give it sort of like a margin of error beho- yeah. before before you actually make any conclusion because hmm. any sort of cell biology or any biology will just often there's always behave. an exception. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, in science, I think biology has probably more the most outliers hmm. yeah. uh, out there. Yeah. Though, don't quote me on that because I might be wrong.
0: Uh, I think it's fair, right? Because of the, uh, I mean. Like ultimately of course it's an extension of physics and chemistry and so on, but like it it's yeah, it's inherently dealing with complex systems. So it's inherently yeah, unpredictable I, I and, think, case theory and all I that. think
1: Yes, I think that's the the biggest um Thing that with biology is that we constantly work on complex systems, mm-hmm. and even though in biology, when you do any work on research uh, work, um, for out for those listeners who have never experienced any science work, um, we set up hypotheses, and often for any work we do, we need to um set up a hypothesis a question, mm-hmm. what how we want to address a certain interesting um aspect of biology, let's say. And we often, if you want to a- answer a question, you have to always start with the, the, the primary building block. So ask, like, l- reduce the variables, as that we call it. So yes. um, trying to have it maximum one variable at a time, where whereas in a complex system, often those variables yeah. interact with each other, which mm-hmm. is much, much difficult to predict mm. in biological systems, whereas, you know...
0: Yeah, I mean... It- Occasionally, it's you know, it's still true of many physics things. Like you know, there's the old joke about this only works for a spherical cow in a vacuum, but um, it's it's more so of a problem in biology because there's there's always uncontrolled variables
1: somewhere in there. Yeah, so that's 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 where we are at the moment. Yes. So that's why we just wanted to clarify that. But mm. in general, we think um, it's. For writers, science science fiction writers, mm. I think it might be easier to adapt chemistry and physics, uh, abstract or futuristic as uh, chemistry and physics, compared to biology. Yeah, it's easy. It's
0: easier to extrapolate to some degree.
1: It's, um, mm. Yeah.
0: But anyway, um, let's actually jump into into the story. Having had that little yes tangent. So
1: So. Um... I'll be introducing the chapter um and sort of we got some feedback uh, from our listeners. Um we thank everyone for doing that. And um we will sort of try to balance and um answer the biology a bit easier and discuss it in more sort of basic details before we jump into depth in too much depth because as you can tell we're both we're we're both scientists, and we immediately we understand what we're talking about, but yeah, we kind of forgetting pissed. that some people may not. So, thank you for the feedback, and let's dive in then. Um, so, in chapter uh, three, um, we uh, we've discussed we have the main character, little um, struggling to get used to to um, uh, appearance hmm. and presence, and um, who refuses to leave her side. And as hard as she's trying to ignore his presence and trying to escape his um, looks, she's unable. Um, At some point, she gives up uh, on sleep and escapes him and strikes a conversation about the scar that she received after one of her first awakenings that we've mentioned in previous um, podcast. She finds out that she had cancer. Cittaya tells her she had a cancer, something prevalent in her family, in fact, uh, which was removed. And I'm um, saying removed in uh, inverted commas hmm. because um, it's very interesting the way he described it. Um, chitaya told her that it was done by one of his relatives under supervision of a human physician. Uh, we learn more about we learn more about the relative of chitaya, a being that is neither male or female, but an uloi. That's how uh, it was described, uloi. Yeah. Um, The way Jdaya described Uloi is that they are capable of understanding the body in its most unique and in-depth meaning. Um, Later on, we are hinted that that they are capable of understanding, or even further, perceive the genetics in the body of any being. Um, So what actually happened to um, um, Lilith was that... um, that will only remove the cancer to understand its intrinsic genetics, and then stimulated Lilith's body to resorb the cancer mm. tissue back again. To and by resorbing, we mean the body accepted the tissue and it used it as its normal tissue. Mm. And I think this is before I continue on. I think this is very interesting that the whole concept of being capable of understand the genetics and resolving the making the off body to resolve the cancer because we as humans if we have cancer it's well it's very um... I mean I suppose we we
0: get a little bit adjacent to that with attempts at like immunotherapy type stuff uh, stimulating the immune system to attack the cancer it's kind of similar sort of space but we're in the, the infancy of that capability
1: yes i mean you know if during cancer what happens in the human body is that our immune system what it does usually is that it detects abnormal cells and starts attacking them you know cells start eating the immune system start to eat those cancer cells and this is this is the best case scenario by the way everyone hmm. and then that abs- sort of can be acted as a resorption but yeah so that's that's sort
0: of happening all the time right because there's the whole um this notion of a multi-hit model of cancer wherein um several things have to go wrong several hits have to occur to until a normal cell before yes, it becomes yes. cancerous so a lot of the time the activity of the immune system is against stuff that's not cancerous yet it's kind of precancerous and that's that occurs kind of constantly and as we're always a, a sort of a, some stuff is you know they're getting adjacent to you know, heading down that path towards becoming a cancerous cell and the immune mm. system intervenes early to stop it from going further.
1: In Just for our listeners, um, usually what happens in the human body is that if a cell accumulates a lot of those mistakes in its genetic code, uh, what happens it, is that the cell um, itself triggers a mechanism that basically causes it to suicide, to kill itself. Mm. And at that point, the cell basically just uh, stimulates the activates the system and the cell starts to break down. And that, that's what usually happens in cancer is that, that those mutations accumulate so much that that system doesn't trigger. And you of uh, and that's the problem. Yeah. The cell keeps replicating, copying itself while maintaining those. Mistakes itself, and it acquires more and more mistakes, and this is what cancer really is: mm. uncontrolled replication. Yes, and um, sometimes it stays in its place, and you can just easily, you know, you, a nice doctor removes this uh, the tumor, um, and you're given some medications, and after that, the chemo after chemotherapy, you're fine. But sometimes the cells decide to float around in your body and then it's much more difficult to fight. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, there's kind of a, there's a trade-off between um, having successful self-renewal right? having cells that are capable of, of dividing to fix stuff and repair things that are no longer working and the possibility of cancer. So there's, a, mm. there's like the, a limit on replication, this this concept of like the Hayflick limit, so a cell can only divide so many times, and that's thought of as like an insurance mechanism to prevent um, excessive replication that leads to cancer. But it also has kind of a drawback that perhaps that prevents the the, the long term repair of of tissue. Although that um, is somewhat contradicted as a theory by um, the existence of a, an animal called the naked mole rat, which seems to be kind of you know kind of it manages to escape that sort of paradox because it it lives for a super long time like 30 years and it's the size of a mouse which is like 10 times longer than you'd expect for a mouse but doesn't get cancer and in fact it's super hard even to give naked mole rat cells cancer in like culture it's very hard to to cause them to get cancer so there clearly are organisms out there that have kind of cracked some of this
1: I've watched recently a video on I think Kurzgesagt uh, YouTube channel, which I highly recommend to everyone. This is not sponsored, honestly. Anybody who's interested in science, watch it like hundred percent. And it was about the cancer as well, about in cancer in big animals like whales, elephants, like um because obviously every animal gets cancer, every being gets a cancer, and multi, uh, multicellular uh, uh organs gets cancer. If you look at trees sometimes, you can see those sort of growths on the side. These are cancer. Obviously, the tree is not going to die for the next 80, 100 years because, you know, trees grow very long. It takes a long time to grow and anything will happen. But it's still a cancer. So there was a theory um, on that video talking about um, what happens in big animals. Like, why big animals? You don't see many cases of animals dying of cancer, big animals dying of cancer. And it might be the case uh, because the cell size stays the same, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So technically, the amount of times of the cancer occurring in the body should be much higher because the amount of cells is much bigger, yep. uh, larger. So the probability of those cells becoming cancerous should be much higher. And what, and what the, one of the theories was basically saying that these two those animals get cancers, probably cancer all the time, to get cancerous uh, cells all the time. Mm. But those cancers get their own cancer that kills them. So hmm. there's like a basically a system the cells develop cancer, and then there's another cancer that starts to develop because it takes so long for those cells to actually have any effect on the body that those cancers become so cancerous they kill the cancer on the cell, uh by itself. So oh, it's an
0: interesting theory. I'm not sure I'm entirely convinced by that notion. That's
1: I I no. to be honest I. I you know what I'll, maybe for the next uh, recording, I'll dig out where the references were mm. the uh, where the the based that theory uh, theory on mm. um but um I found this really interesting that because uh it, it sounds like something that it's possible that if something mm. i think there was a case of a human case which uh sometime a year ago maybe There
0: have been i think it was uh, some kind of leukemia case that had effectively analogous effect to two different types of leukemia that more or less cancelled one another out yeah i I think this is kind of uh, not a terribly reliable mechanism so i don't think that would work terribly no i wouldn't
1: count that oh i hope to get cancer on my cancer so it kills the cancer yeah i mean it seems
0: yeah (laughs) i'm not sure the The statistics seem would work out in favor of that functioning consistently. Yeah, I mean,
1: unless you're the luckiest person out there in the Hmm. universe. I mean, otherwise, I wouldn't count on that. Yeah. Uh, Trust your trust your doctors, you know, and the modern uh, medications. Hmm. They they do work. Honestly, they do. Yeah, they're they're improving. Oh yeah, they're also constantly improving. That's yeah. I, I would. I trust. I would trust uh, doctors more than I would trust um, well, yeah. my own body to create another cancer to yes. kill the cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and never
0: take any medical advice from either of us. <laughs> so. Yeah, We're,
1: even though we are, well, one of us at the most recording is a doctor, but none of us are the medical doctors who do not take any health advice from us. Get, go to the specialist. But anyway, maybe let's move on. Um, So I think there was,
0: we had a point about um, Steyer referring to the the Uloi relative as it. Um,
1: Yes, yes, that she does. Uh, In my notes, I wrote they, hmm. because it was sort of, you know... I thought it was
0: an interesting sort of writing choice. It seems almost um, well, yeah, the the analogue of dehumanizing for these Oankali. Uh, But it, it puts the Uloi in a a sort of lesser position, more an object, um, and I'm wondering if that's, in some sense, a deliberate thing on behalf of the author, author kind of rendering the, the Uly a bit more other, um, a bit more inhuman to, to Lilith.
1: Well, the question is actually because Dia when he introduced himself and asks when she asks him what he is, he sort of says he's sort of an equivalent of a human male. Hmm. I think Lilith is sort of with that answer immediately assuming that what those beings are, they have males and females. Mm. But in fact, um, what we learn is that those later on, after we discuss later, but they talk about that those families actually are made of three sort of parents like the male, female, and Uloi. Mm. So, in fact, it may not make sense in our minds, in her mind especially, um, but, you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen Hmm. in a way. So, uh, I don't know. I I, I just, I feel to me me that it might be that, um, considering the age that book was written and the time, uh, many aspects of life still were not... um, and the position of male and females, you know, in the family were pretty um, still at the time, and there still are, but um, defined what what they are, how they look, and you know how. Um...
0: Yeah, it's, it's sort of making uh, some degree of gender role assumptions there.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. But yeah, well, I think this is something maybe. I mean, if in reality, if she called it, I mean, she could the it could indicate anything including Chetaya, because mm. honestly, at the moment, we can't really deduce what sort of, in terms of perspective or human perspective, mm. or the earth mammalian perspective, um, you know, males and females are basics of how we reproduce. Mm. So, but in reality, we don't know how they exactly rep- reproduce exactly. Yeah,
0: we don't, don't yet know what, what
1: their whole uh, system is. Um so we can't assume at the moment. So I think, I think we should keep this in mind. Yes, yeah.
0: keep an eye on exactly how their reproduction works. Um, so I was wondering, what did you make of the... Um, uh, so when, when uh, Staya is describing the Uloi's kind of investigations of the humans, Lilith, she, she wanders, her mind goes to some quite dark places as to what exactly the Gohan Kali might be doing... Um, did you make of any, anything of that
1: um i I think I focus on other things mm-hmm. about the Uloi, so I haven't actually thought about it but um, is there anything on your mind
0: well yeah so th- w- there's, a, there's a particular quote that she she said uh, she imagined treatable diseases being allowed to run their grisly course in order for the Uloi to learn uh, when Dy says you know the are studying the human, she kind of goes you know she thinks about all the things they might be doing to them and that uh that particular line put me in mind of the Tuskegee syphilis experiment,
1: ah uh, yeah, um, yeah, it does sound really I mean you know honestly it's examples of people running before any sort of regulations before you know that experiment, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment or uh isn't what happened what when it happened 40 it was years ago? it
0: was uh it ran from thirty two to seventy two I think if memory serves. <sighs> which is ridiculous, given that... Um, so perhaps I should provide the context there. So the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment was a prospective study of um, the, uh, like the life course, what happens if you're infected with syphilis, that exactly how it kind of kills you and, and you know, the pathology of the disease. But it was run in, um, in African-American men in, uh, I forget which state, like Mississippi, Alabama, I want to say, somewhere down the south. And treatment for syphilis was developed in the 40s with penicillin, but it kept running long after they could have treated these people and so they just they just left them with the disease for a really long time um, and It was a massive scandal at the time and all came out in in seventy two seventy three um, so I think it would have been in the zeitgeist when um, a little bit of, you know when, when Octavia was kind of uh, growing up. Uh, so it's,
1: yeah that's yeah. it's it's such a messed up thing when you think about it because mm. for our listeners um during the second world war germans pre- performed a lot of horrendous experiments human experiments and during the nuremberg nuremberg, nuremberg nuremberg yeah 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 trials it came out to light what was happening and uh, based on that trial uh, that trial basically there were some rules ethical rules being mm. produced against any human sort of testing without you know so there's like sort of first ethical um ru- ru- like rules and yet and this was second world war we're talking about and mm. yet this is this was happening in america yeah still and it, this this spurred
0: that. a lot of uh reforms in the whole sort of um experimental ethics oversight for human subjects and so on there's a bunch yes. of organizations that um, were kind of founded effectively as a result of the investigation into this this study it's, it's pretty infamous
1: um, yeah I, I think this is uh, this is what i think people don't realize that um well i'm sure people realize, but like the aspect that nowadays any human trials are very strictly regulated hmm. before any experiments on humans are performed they, there has to be a lot of Prior studies to done uh, don with peer-reviewed publications ready and clear that there might be some positive effect for humans to be used. So, but even then, even then, my dear listeners, it happens. Do you remember Richard? The name of the medications given to pregnant women for against oh, uh, sickness.
0: Oh, the thalidomide thing. Yeah. Yes,
1: yeah. yes, which call co- which wasn't properly tested was hmm. given to women, pregnant women, and that even though it might have helped women, but it had awful um, yeah. but it effects to, on the That she comes back to some base. of the science
0: we were discussing last week, the whole chirality thing, because what went wrong there was the um, one isomer of the thalidomide drug is safe. The other one is not. The synthesis process didn't um, separate the two in uh, so that they, they, they weren't aware that the other isomer was a problem, and they had a mixture, you know, an racemic mixture of the, the two different isomers that were using in the production drug. So, whilst they knew one of them was safe, they did uh, not have that information about the other compound, the
1: isomer. Yeah. yeah. So, mistakes do happen, but if the mistakes happen, the, a lot of people pay a lot. So, at the moment, there's a lot of things that honestly before any human trials nowadays will happen there's a lot of things that need to be tested Mm. and observed before anything of such thing may occur um so yeah i mean it's it's uh, i hope that that uloi did not run things like that on humans Mm. but the, the implication
0: is that they didn't need to right the yeah. Whole, they, um, yeah. Yeah. They had yeah. this this perceptual ability of genetics that we'll, we'll probably get on to I, I thought it was it was interesting that uh, Lilith immediately went to like super dark human experimentation oh, yeah. stuff. Um, to
1: be honest, I mean, being in isolation for so long, who bloody knows what was happening? Yeah, so I totally can imagine. No, yeah. But yeah, but I think let's move on to the continuing to describe the chapter and um, yes, and move on. So. The next, the story continues with Lilith acclimatizing to Chitaya, and when he offers her food, and she realizes that uh, he has a hand like ours, but it looks like a daisy, looking like a daisy Mm. with many fingers around the palm, and we are told that she imagined herself around so many beings like him, and that made her feel immediately feel like a panic attack, or as she described, a true xenophobia.
0: Like, clearly, still very. Uh, like, viscerally scared of him. Yes,
1: I mean yeah. you know it's it's different, different. The constant new things that she's learning about him, the new mm. differences. I mean, obviously, it's it it feels like she is under uh, under constant sort of vigilance of what what new, what different, strange things may happen.
0: Yeah, I there's a quote. There's a she could not remember ever having been so continually afraid, so out of control of her emotions. Shdai had done nothing, yet she cowered.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll get to that later on, mm. and we learn that um, the name of the beings that the alien race that Chitaya belongs to, Onkali, is that the correct pronunciation?
0: I believe so. Yeah, Onkali. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: which means meaning many things, but one of them being traders. Uh, when prompted to explain what they trade, Chitaya answers ourselves with no further explanation. We also learn about Chitaya's past. He was given to a human doctor to learn to do his work. Uh, The human was too old to have her own children, but she could teach, and that's what she did. She was dying due to old age, even though her lifespan was uh, expanded by the Onkali to the ripe age of 113 years. And um, Chitaya talks about that human physician as as his fourth parent. Um, and we are then told that Lilith was originally the age of 26 pr- prior to her being captured by the aliens, mm-hmm. and even though 250 years have passed, the stasis she was kept under uh, only made her age by two years, and that she will live much, much longer, um, and her children as well. Yeah. Live really I'm not sure long.
0: if it's implied that the the stasis means she only lived, uh, aged two years, or if she aged not at all in the stasis, and the two years was the time she spent awake in various increments.
1: Um, I think it's the second. It's the yeah. second that what's the, the case? The stasis prevent her to age, whereas the, when she was awake, only two years have actually passed in her in the human uh, uh, in the Earth years. Yeah, subjective um, time, as it were. Yeah. We are told that she will stay biologically young. Meaning that she will probably age much much slower, and uh, but when she learns that she spent two years of her life in solitary, uh, Lilith wondered what the aliens would possibly give her to return those years to her. I mean, technically she was under you know supervision or in in capture for two hundred fifty years, but
0: yeah, no, it's two subjective years, right? So
1: yeah, yeah. The moment she thinks of that, that that, idea that how will they pay back those two years to her, uh, we observe a change in Chitaya, um described as his tentacles solidifying that made Lilith less scared of him and made her try to approach him. And um, we found that through approach that Lilith touched him uh, after touching his skin, we find it, that it's smooth and hard like a nail, and that uh, the solidification of the tentacles feels unnatural to Chthaya, hmm. muffling his sense, but also representing pleasure and um, or amusement. And when asked, when Lilith asked about why is he being happy, he answered that he was, uh, it was because um, she wanted her time back and not wanted to die. Hmm. Um, he tells her her desire to live is stronger and suggests that it will be tested feeling that... Ominous. Being a bit ominous, (laughs) in my opinion. And alarmed, rightly so, Lilith Mm. wants to know more, but the only answer she gets is that once she's ready to leave the room, Staya will answer all her questions.
0: Yeah. Um, I think at that point she's kind of... um, She wants to get used to Staya. She's actually kind of annoyed at herself that she can't, like, control herself around him. She's she wants to like she wants the answers to her questions so Mm. she wants to be able to not be like you know having this kind of physical reaction to being around him all the time so she can get out there and, and find out what the hell's going on so she's kind of
1: but then, when he says, "Oh, she will be tested," I that doesn't help. I mean, it's... yes,
0: I mean, the, she's definitely still very apprehensive. <laughs> but um, I think I she's had enough him. of this he's room. He's
1: honest. He's honest, but hmm. still, I think before I would want, I personally would also want to know everything. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I heard. He's time. honest,
0: but he's very selective with the information with which he's honest. That's yes, yes. Seems to be the way they function, right? They, they don't seem to be overly big on misleading you. They're pretty upfront, but they're also very cagey about anything they don't want you to know. Uh, they just don't respond if you ask a question. They don't want to answer.
1: Yeah, it's 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 not, I think, ideal um, way to sort of help person to relax. I yeah, mean, as uh,
0: Lilith says that, doesn't she? It's like, if you knew anything about human psychology, you would not be answering my questions like this, because yeah. it's just I, I'm imagining the worst here.
1: Yeah, uh, I feel like maybe sometimes a bit of a lie would probably be better than or at least uh, just a gentle sort of, instead of I mean, you know, he, he was supposed to live with a, a human physicist, and you would think that he would learn how to answer those questions, because this is what he was training for, to talk to um, Human humans. But... Physician, right, as opposed to yeah. physician. Sorry, yeah, physician, sorry. Yeah. This is a physicist, apologies. Mm-hmm. Physician. Um, but <laughs> I think, you know, as all humans, some of them also don't know <laughs> how to properly... Um, performs you know talk or like just mm. behave in certain situations so might have been a quirk that also that that lady had but yeah months.
0: and i imagine it takes a while to understand the kind of nuances of social interaction among a very alien species right and picking mm. up on the, the minutiae of that's difficult as you say for many humans let alone an alien
1: I thought I see on your notes, um, your talk. You talked about exposure therapy. Would you like to discuss that? Oh yeah, detail? yeah,
0: on that. Um, so, um, well, said, effectively, it seems like Steyer is kind of forcing Lilith into exposure therapy to him in order to get her used to, you know, the, the other oh, Carly. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't really have a great deal to say about the specifics of that, other than yeah, it's just sort of she's like being coerced into getting used to them. Um, through being forced to experience them.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's exposure to anything over time sort of um, gets everyone used to things. But then there's also the idea of a Stockholm Syndrome hmm. when somebody under a distress actually starts to perceive the kidnapper or you know, as a um, in a positive light. They, they get attached to them, so... Yeah, we don't see yeah. it here. Suppose... We don't see in this, in here. Yeah, but uh,
0: yeah, I suppose forced exposure therapy could be a euphemism for Stockholm <laughs> syndrome. <right>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, she doesn't really have much choice in any of this.
1: Mm, true, but to be honest, I I think the, the the relationship of Chitayo and the the human doctor, I think this is fascinating that mm. um they the, that this sort of happened that a doctor, a human, I mean, elderly people, I am mm. well, maybe generalizing, usually are more accept. Those I've met so f- those I've met so far have been much more accepting than you know, what in, people may think. But it feels to me that the doctor was really um, helping Taya uh, t- to understand the humans, and I see. Um, you made some notes about what Lilith said to Dyer. When Lilith says, "You seem too human sometimes. Oh, if yes. I weren't looking at you, I'd assume you were a man," and Dyer responds, "My family gave me the human so that I could learn to do this." The work. connection
0: there between the appearance of being human and the being given to the doctor. I was wondering if you read anything into into that about the the shape, sort of the physical shape of Steyr because it, it, it seemed almost to me to be implying that he looks human because he was like partially raised by a human.
1: Oh, so you mean that like his, do you think like his form was sort of changed more to like human-like or do you mean like that he took a form, he molded himself more to be like a human to a, uh, um, are you implying that? But well,
0: something along those lines. I was wondering if you if you felt the text was implying that that was what my. Uh,
1: I yeah. don't know. For me, I think it was more of the um, psychological understanding of humans, not mm. physical. Mm. Um, although, maybe you're right. Maybe it is also implies that he he was he changed his form a bit to be more like humans. Um. But then you know, obviously, you couldn't if if you can change the form. Why don't you make yourself giving yourself two fake eyes and nose and the mouth, yeah, so that the there's... face looks uh, you know like a human face, while you can sense use the use the sensory organs on his body to sense everything. You know, Again, it's...
0: it's it's kind of an Uncanny Valley thing, right? He's a little bit too close from a distance, but when you actually mm. like see him in the light, he's you know this massive tentacles that's like a sea slug according to the, the description yeah so, yeah uh, like it would be a, a pretty serious shock right you've got the silhouette of a man and then like yeah sea slug yeah
1: <laughs> so, not, so not helping the, but the thing is he does say to her that Um, when the human doctor joined uh, his family for the first time, his family members actually found the human disturbing too, very disturbing in the beginning
0: Mm. they found it disturbing in a very interesting way though which
1: I I thought was worth pointing out Mm -mm. Um, do you want to give us the quote? it was her genetic structure that disturbed them I I can't explain that to you you'll never sense it as we do and i think this is very um interesting because um i'll continue on with the finishing the chapter introduction because it actually goes into more detail about this Hmm. and we can discuss it so in here um that chapter ends on the note that lilith is realizing that it's the slug-like appearance that disturbs her and when she said that she's getting tired of her reaction to dire tells her that his household also had a similar reaction to the human doctor when she first joined the problem was with her genetic structure. That's what he said. Too difficult to explain because humans will never able to sense it as the onkali do. And the last note is on Dya approaching Lilith, reaching to her with his hand, and with his some hesita- hesitation, Lilith takes it. And once she does, he says that this room will soon be but a memory for her. And this is where the chapter ended. Mm-hmm. And this is where I wanted to talk about the whole aspect of the. I think this is the biggest part of the science biology that we are given insight into. um, Yeah. In this chapter, because we find that the onkali, especially the uloi, is capable of um, detecting the genetic structure, and this and not just them, but. It seems that all uncanny can sort of detect that the genetics, perceive the genetic mm. structure of a being, yeah. and that it disturbed them. Mm. They have in some some, way or some kind
0: enough. of perceptual organ that lets them, quote unquote, see the genetics of yes, uh, yes, the, you know, other organisms, uh, which is uh, you know a fascinating conceit for the uh, for the sci-fi. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, this is something. We will get to this in this details in a second, but I mm. think for all our listeners this is something that I, I think I think is the most interesting because as you may understand as you all uh, as our listeners realize that is that when you look, smell, taste, touch, anything that you can sense in a way, mm. it's so natural for us. And it's also natural for them to perceive other beings, their genetic um sequence and it's 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 fascinating and it said that uh, it's what said what the chapter said was that unkali can modify that genetic um sequence as we as was shown when mm. Lilith had the cancer growth uh that was resolved into her body again once the unkali yeah. uh Although, sorry with the Uloi um yeah um, modified I it it's
0: not strictly stated that they can modify the the sequence that the, the Uloi modified the sequence there it's just that it chemically induced her body to reabsorb the cancer. So I don't think they necessarily... We don't explicitly get they like edited the genetics there.
1: Um, that That is correct, but I just wondered whether it's just that. Hmm. You know, and I think maybe... I think I have some theories behind it. Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted to say that um, in our bodies, to all listeners... Um, we have these cytokines. They're called cytokines. They're basically proteins that are used by. Uh, don't have to be proteins. They can be just molecules. Let's say molecules that can uh, that stimulate cells. So some one cell will release those cytokines, those molecules, and it will affect the surrounding cells to do something. Let's say. So for example, yeah. if you cut yourself, so there's the cells on your skin. that will lead other cells by releasing the cytokines to start moving and closing that wound. That's what very general hmm. means describes. So this is what Richard, I think, was mentioning about that, that leading the body to sort of, by releasing some molecules to stimulate yeah. the body to, Using... to take the cancer, to use that cells to break them down, I guess, and yeah. absorb them.
0: Signaling mechanisms that are kind of you know, present in our, our body that tell cells to keep being the kind of cell they are or to stop start... And a doing a wound repair process or whatever you know the 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 non genetic kind of ongoing signaling processes that that take place uh, it seems to be implied that that was kind of the mechanisms that the Uloy employed rather than necessarily
1: genetic editing, but in the same time, I thought maybe it does actually have something to do with the genetic um it, it could well do yeah. um uh, sequencing because um they do talk about understand like the, the genetic structure disturb them yeah Meaning yeah they definitely that have
0: the they, perceptual capability
1: yeah to understand what the, what was happening there and in in our genome and i just thought that to, for our listeners to um to sort of give a brief understanding what g- genetic sequencing is in our modern world hmm. so
0: should, should i uh, talk a little bit about the structure of dna to start yes, with, yes, please. If you could please yeah.
1: introduce that and then we'll go into the sequencing yeah. afterwards. So, because like
0: the the kind of common present in the culture pictures that people have of DNA tends to be you've got like a spiral, kind of ladder shaped spiral, right? You know, and then you've mm. got like the sequence of A's, T's, G's, and C's as little letters. And then maybe you've got some kind of vague impression of like complicated chemical structure, right? But, um, just want to talk a little bit about the, that spiral structure, right? So, that, um, just to explain the kind of components of it, to because it helps to, if you have a better mental model of what the structure looks like, you can really reason more effectively about how the sequencing technology works because it kind of follows pretty naturally from it. So the the rungs of that ladder on the spiral are the base pairs, right? In fact, that mm, spiral it's, is, you know, it's two DNA molecules whenever you see the spiral represented, right? The, each strand, like if you took the, the equivalent of the sides of the ladder and pulled and each of the rungs split in two, then you'd have two strands of DNA, two pieces of DNA, and each of those has that you know, ATGC sequence on them. And each ATG and C is composed of kind of three bits, right? You've got the actual base bit that does the, the pairing behavior where the A only matches up with the T, or the G with a C or whatever. Um, and then you've got the backbone bit, the bit that holds together, the kind of the sides of the ladder. And those are comprised of a sugar. Um, it's a, you can think of it as like a pentagon shape right the sugar and then you've got a a phosphate so it's like a spherical thing right so you've got these kind of flat bases you've got like a pentagon for your phosphate i mean for your um sugar and then a little sphere for the for the um, phosphate right and you stack them on top of one another um to create that ladder or that uh, one strand of that ladder but the um another important feature of it is that there's Directionality to the ladder, right? So e- effectively, each side of the ladder points in a different direction, right? Yes. So if you go back to that, that thing about the little pentagonal things for the sugar, right? If you imagine stacking up a bunch of pentagons on top of one another, they, they have an asymmetry, right? So there's one pointy end and there's a flat end. Right? So when you stack them up, they point in a direction, right? So you picture like a pile of pentagons, one on top of the other. One pointing, pointing. I'm upwards.
1: Let's imagine if the ladder is going up and down. Yeah, From so you've got
0: like a phase. you've got got a ladder with a bunch of up arrows on one side and a bunch of down arrows on the other side, and that's uh, the jargon is like five prime and three prime, and that refers to the the carbons in the sugar. Um, so you know, there's this this direction of five to three or three to five, and that's the the way the pentagons are pointing.
1: Just to so you know, everyone, the five and three indicate the the. Um... The number of carbons inside that sugar ring, um, to which the other sugar ring is connected to and mm. from. So it starts from five and then goes to three. That that's what it means. Is if you number them in clockwise, you basically take that number and then you just pick the number five and then you just go upwards to three and stuff like that. So it's just that.
0: Yeah. So it's like counting around the pentagon. Right? Yes. Uh, except there's an extra little bit on the side, which is where the five is. But the um uh so to, so to sum that up you've got these you know, you've got that that ladder shape you've got the rungs that are the bases of the a t g and c and the the sides of the ladder have arrows, one pointing up one pointing down um right so when you uh if you feel like peel that apart and you've now got one strand of the ladder um sequencing uh or, or synthesis of the dna you, what what you end up doing is you have an enzyme that kind of wraps around a piece of that strand and there are these free-floating versions of those same bases right? so that same you've got the, the flat thing which is a nucleotide your pentagon and then the phosphate group but instead of just having one phosphate group there are three right it's called a charged version of the, the nucleotide right
1: it, it needs that's, energy to do anything so exactly in, an, in any cell you need energy and the source of energy in our bodies is the three phosphate connected together
0: you know, you hear that concept of the, a battery, right? So ATP is often referenced in that context, which is just one of the bases, right? And it's used uh, cleaving off either one or two of those phosphates yields a little bit of energy, which you can use to do something enzymatically. Um, but in this particular case of DNA synthesis, any of the bases, ATG or C, with the three phosphates, each time one of them enters the enzyme that's kind of doing the elongation and matches up, so you know, if there's a T sat on the enzyme in the strand that you're trying to copy, an A ends up in the slot and it fits well and that lets the enzyme uh, cleave off two of those phosphate groups and incorporate it, add it to the, the existing strand. So the, the three prime end, the like pointy end of that phosphate, uh, so the pointy end of that um, ribose rather, the, the sugar, that's the three prime end, right? So mm-hmm. you, the phosphate group, in the the base that's going to be incorporated there's like a little chemical reaction it's a nucleophilic attack of the hydroxyl group on the three prime end onto the um the phosphate and that adds a covalent bond in there connects the the base to the to the new strand opposite the the one we're copying and uh you know, so, you get so on.
1: this molecule basically running up or down the yeah. path mm. of the ladder and yeah. just the bases just go pew, 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 and then just the energy is released while the bases are being added. added that's basically yeah. so you've got the
0: one strand. This thing kind of slides along it, and every time the right base pairs up, it does that little chemical reaction, and you create a copy of the strand as you move along. Yeah, um,
1: that's basics, basically, of the DNA. Yeah, that's
0: the DNA synthesis. Yeah, um, and that is. The fundamental stuff that underlies all of the sequencing technologies that we use uh in At one way or another
1: yeah. yes, so uh. um in what scientists came up with I, the idea was to modify those um bases those um that with the phosphate to have an extra molecule added to it um Basically, in any sequencing you have, um, later on you'll uh, in the references I'll provide a link to a PDF file that reviews all of them. There's there's many many. There's a nice little
0: summary video we might want to attach as well.
1: Um, Yep. Um, Basically, we'll add some uh, references, but basically the basic general concept for sequencing and at the moment is science Um, involves. Having those bases with a special molecule that once it attaches to the DNA, that piece of the strand that we are interested in, it will shine light basically a bit of light will be emitted, especially a photon will be emitted, and a very sp- good very uh, very good camera will pick up those um those little shines of light basically and the computer will calculate that sort of that that shining of the light as a attachment of base right so what happens is like this you have those dna pieces attached to whatever a chip or something and the machine basically what it does is flushes in like a com- mixture of the a basis with that with that molecule. And then it flashes it out and then and the camera once the in it takes the picture of whatever there was the flashes of light. Then it cleans it and then another one, the C, let's say, for, uh, comes in, and then some other DNA molecules will shine, and the camera just takes all that data, and the computer stores that data, and basically says, okay, so these, these molecules have the sequence, they they shined light on the first, when the A was so they have A there, then they didn't shine anything until the A came back again, and that it was A again, and it, and it continues like that, so in this way we can understand um sort of had the sequence of the dna you can
0: you can infer from from when you get a flash and which bases were available to let the uh incorporation of the next nucleotide uh take place yes um what the base was at that position
1: exactly so knowing that we can sequence the DNA and know what's the mm. sequence of RNA. This is sort of the basis of what um, Frederick Sangers in 1977 did and received Nobel Prize Indeed. for Indeed, yeah. And this was the first time where the human se- uh, genome was sequenced. Mm. And it, that method was used for 40 or more years until a bit better methods appeared. Yeah, I mean,
0: there are a um, couple of different variants. Like the original... Uh, the Sanger method doesn't necessarily make use of fluorescence; it can make use of length. But uh, yeah, the the slightly more modernized version of Sanger's method also includes the the fluorescent labeling as well as uh, length of the fragment.
1: Uh, yes. But, yeah. Well, this is more going into detail of what yeah. sequencing is, which yeah, we'll is a bit more complicated than that. And I hmm. think we should maybe steer away from it. Yeah, unless I don't somebody's interested. in t- deep into I mean, the, the um, only thing
0: that I think. Uh, is, is worth kind of bringing up in relation to the, like the Owen Carley perceptual organ. Yes. Right. So now, now we've talked about the the DNA and how the elongation works and how we sequence stuff. Think about how it is that you might have that as a, as a sense, right? How would you be able to perceive DNA sequence? Um, mm. And there, there are a couple of sequencing technologies that make use not of fluorescence, but of um, effective. The, the the products that are evolved from the sequencing reaction so when you add the base that's got those three phosphates on it the the two remaining phosphates and a hydrogen ion are released and there are two a hydrogen ion
1: is just a proton just a proton, so everybody yeah. know
0: yeah um and so we have a couple of sequencing technologies one called pyrosequencing two phosphate groups like that is it's called pyrophosphate um so it's basically a system that that takes that and converts it via an enzyme into an emission of light. And then we have ion-torrent sequencing which detects the the protons on a a silicon chip and converts them to electrical current. So those are the two sequencing technologies that I think would be most analogous to whatever perceptual system you had to look at um, uh, DNA. And the reason for that is that ultimately what you'd have to do is convert the the sequence of bases into some kind of electrical impulse, so you could interface it with a nervous system. Right? You want your you know you want your neurons to fire when you're seeing a, a particular base sequence, as it were.
1: Yeah. So I think um, I agree. So I think this is what um, potentially may ha- be happening in the Uloi, where they 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 have these sort of organs. They grab a bit of tissue from a human. It doesn't have to be much. And they are capable of using that sort of method, maybe, to detect. The only problem, I think, is that the, the idea, although uh, well, I can understand it.
0: Yeah, that's where it gets interesting, right? Uh, how, how exactly would you uh, perceive that? But I suppose it would be somewhat analogous to to vision, um, in that, you no, know, we get a really complicated set of information that comes into our eyes and built into our retinas is a bunch of effectively image pre-processing hardware and then we have a whole bunch of other stuff in our um, visual cortices that, that process all that information and translate it into something that's you know subjectively comprehensible there's a lot of kind of um you know heuristics right a lot of summaries to give impressions so that you know when you see something move rapidly out of the corner of your eye that catches your attention so i imagine it would be kind of similar right to having a, a visual impression or like the smell of something you'd have this internal kind of ability to intuit meaningful information from that genetic sequence but without necessarily being explicitly aware of the raw signal in the same way that we're not like aware of the individual uh, retina cells like firing in our eyes.
1: You, yeah. you might be correct, but the thing is what we need to remember from our previous recording uh, discussion um, is that those aliens possibly have completely different genetic structure.
0: Indeed. Yep.
1: So the question now is them being disturbed, maybe it's not being disturbed because it's whatever genes we have, but more it's like that the idea that, the, um, that whatever the bases or whatever we, u- we have are completely mm. different to what they have. So, for example, the DNA in us, right, uh, mm. the way we code for proteins or anything, the, mm. every three bases, ATC, blah, 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 um, are used as a sort of a um, code for one amino acid to make a protein. So in their case it might be more, et cetera. So that might be the what disturbed them, that it's different, that like that that whole concept behind it. And yet the Uloy that you know takes they, they can understand that uh, that mm. genetic code they're still capable of sequencing and an understanding though, even though it's so foreign to that's, them. Uh, okay, That's an interesting interpretation of it. Yeah. So I, I think personally this is something that even though um, they're capable of sort of seeing, but like mm. the Uloi are specialized to understand it more. Yes, in a, in a way, right. and I, I and I'm really curious on how how can one understand something so far. But then, then again, it's like learning a new language.
0: Mm.
1: Because you know in binary one zero zero one, like this is what all the computers are working. They're just rapidly sending those on and off switches one and zero. Hmm. And we are still capable of converting those uh, one and zeros to languages and write programs. And nowadays there's so many different programming languages that we can convert to signals from. Might be the same, similar that instead of you know when one and zero, we have four numbers and they have maybe we have more, maybe less, who hmm. knows? But they're okay, still yeah, capable of sort of mm. making those translation, let's mm. say, of the of the code. Yeah.
0: My initial impression was that effectively this is assuming quite a lot of biological similarity, and that basically, kind of implying that we have the same like protein coding kind of basics as the o and Kali do. Um, because, well, I mean, not necessarily, but that the. the it seems to me that the thing that's disturbing to them is not what, like, not sort of fundamentally, it's not like they're confused by it or they're not, um, like, struggling to understand it. It's like it has disturbing implications, right? They, it's like they've seen something in the genetics of the humans that they find concerning. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Weird. I actually haven't thought about it. Like, do you think yeah. that would be disturbing for making people, I don't know, using that genetic code for something, it's like creating weapons or something? Do you? Um,
0: Well, uh, probably not weapons as such, but I mean, there's that whole thing when um, uh, the lawyer is reacting to her cancer and he's like, you have a talent for cancer. And Lilith was like, "Mm, I wouldn't really call it a talent. Um, And then there's the whole thing where it's like, it, the lawyer also says the cancer is beautiful in some sense, uh, and like there's this kind of unrealized human potential. Um, so that that kind of implied to me that they had they understood the basics and were concerned about higher level stuff.
1: Mm. It's it's. I think this is. I mean, this is a great conversation to have, and I, I think we we could go on for forever about this because this is. I mean, as she described, we probably, as Chitaya said, we probably will never be able to perceive how they perceive, and hmm. um, and it's true. But I wonder, I wonder, because in the language when Chitaya says that they they think of themselves as traders and they trade themselves, hmm. so I just wonder whether they, when the when they trade themselves, they absorb some of the information from other species, because we know that from the other chapter that. the the race of Chitaya has Mm -hmm. observed many different races to, you know, commit suicide and they've studied many well, great suicide we call them, but basically their wars and killing each other and stuff like that. So we know that they observed many races before but I just wonder whether um, that idea like maybe they have absorbed or understood so many different types of organisms that are in the universe that maybe um the idea they they can understand more you know what i mean like because they have Hmm. they encountered so many different different things that there may be that there's similarities between now Hmm. for them Hmm. in humans
0: to, to me part of the reason that um i was thinking about you know that this implies kind of higher level stuff rather than like misunderstanding of the the basics was that i was kind of assuming some limitations of the um ability to like intuitively understand something that was really alien right so Mm -hmm. if the fundamental like information encoding system was different then how would you have like a high level heuristic impression of the genetics kind of you know in your like dnao vision cortex whatever the equivalent is for the like the visual cortex right so those those patterns wouldn't work if you had different like they wouldn't be calibrated right um, for I just, a different you, you genetics, said
1: that. I just imagine like you know when people were taking acid or LSD and just basically their vision completely disturbed. I said, "Now yeah. I just imagine it like being like that, that basically them looking at us is just like mm. what is happening." And it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: and, and like, so. But your your point there about you know they've they may have like integrated the genetics of many other species and so on. Maybe they're better equipped to handle that than I think, and maybe they could be more different. Than like there could be you know less biological similarity at the fundamental level, and they just have more experience of different systems. I guess Um, so. so, I guess
1: so. I I feel like maybe it's down to that that being able it's it's like in real world, right? If you go and travel around, you experience more things. You're more likely to come to conclusions that are based on a much Broad, uh, broad mm. uh, sense of experiences you've experienced because if you, for example, let's say live in one small town and you stay in that town forever, your mm. view of the world is often skewed by the perception based on that town, right? Let's say yeah, yeah. availability and, heuristic. Yeah, stuff, and right. if you, but if you go traveling and you meet different cultures and you meet different types of people, there are very many. There are many similarities between us, but there's a lot of different sort of aspects that we don't even think about until we actually experience that hmm. and it might be like that that because they've experienced the exposure to so many different species to understand them maybe the experience behind that they've acquired ha- allows them to understand it in more in the depth that uh usually wouldn't be available for yes yeah, yeah. the they same member of a species if they stayed on their own planet forever mm-hmm. yeah
0: able to in- intuitively grasp stuff that's that's more alien um, than you might think Yeah, yeah.
1: so uh, i just thought this this whole concept of being able to understand genetic code just like that is incredibly fascinating it's just so i don't know I, it just feels to me that yeah i mean it's
0: like we professionally expend massive
1: effort to try and understand <laughs> to, those do, yeah things. to understand those things and yeah. w- you know my current work and Richard's PhD work involves a lot of uh, trying to understand how cells work and looking through the genetic code. And it's just incredibly difficult, yeah, time-consuming so it's kind of a... work that we need to, and we still lack a lot of knowledge that can help. Mm us to reach the point where we want and it's still going to take a long time whereas they, they are capable of doing that in them. Yeah, it's so kind jealous. of a fantasy, right? <laughs> to
0: have a, a perceptual organ that just lets you like look at genetics and understand what's going on just yeah. intuitively. I mean
1: honestly if we had this, I mean our science would skyrocket the speed of uh, of like progress in science mm. would skyrocket so much. People, yeah. I think... Just to put it in perspective for everyone, uh, to to all our listeners. When we're talking about sequencing something, let's say we have some cells that we are interesting sequencing. Mm-hmm. One run of such um, sequencing, even though nowadays it's still it's getting cheaper, yeah. but still is worth enough to buy a small car. Just one run. Let's take several samples or from some tissue of interest, and it's enough to buy you a car. I'm not joking. It's... it's I it's, mean...
0: At this point it's kind of a second hand, not particularly. Well, at this great point it's car. a good hand,
1: but still a car. Whereas yeah. for example, yeah. um, a few years back when I was first doing the sequencing uh, studies, mm. um, it was a proper you could buy a modern car uh, oh, a yeah. car yeah. with it. It's yeah. it, and it's if you, just
0: if you want to use any slightly more esoteric method that's not just like standard sequencing, something that's got gonna kind of give you some some you know, different information. Than uh, that, or that a more in-depth be...
1: understanding than yeah. just general. Second- it's oof. Mm. Honestly, yeah, pricey. It's very mm. pricey, but it's necessary because mm. we need often The more any fr- those who are listening to us and are not into in science, um, bear in mind that the more questions we get answers for, with the more questions we get. Yeah. so the one question and one answer can lead to more three questions and then answer to one of those questions and to create more questions and and the deeper Knowledge a fractal go, geometry deeper we go it's the more difficult it gets to to get the because there's so many questions now. It's not like, you know, 100 years ago when science was like, basically after studying on the university for 10 years, you could probably learn everything there was in the world, right? Well, not quite. Well, but... not quite, but still, <laughs> there was a lot of people, you know, having such a broad knowledge about topics that they could discuss mm. anything, but yep. because science was not so much in depth. Now, yep. if you wanted to do that, now 100... I think there are some calculations I've read somewhere that 100 years ago, the amount of knowledge that was produced... That me produce now in minutes. We're talking about year time.
0: The amount of knowledge produced in the scientific literature per year is now like typically more than most of the rest of human history in a given year, supposedly something like that. And Um,
1: like math, I read something it was about math specifically. That the amount of publications, mathematical publications, that were produced in the last I don't know hundred years. Like mm. in the last decade, we've produced so much that per year we produced. More. It's just the non-mind, number is mind boggling. Yeah. So, and we're getting more and more questions and more ideas. And the more people there are, the more educated they are, the more questions they ask. And it's, it's just impossible. Knowledge, the science, like often when you read the books and you meet, the, like often introduce like omni uh, potent beings that they, under, they know everything right our brains are incapable of knowing how much we don't know Hmm. okay this is this is the concept that to all our listeners that you need to grasp is that you can't know like everything it's just our brains the structure of our brains even though it's as much as some people have photographic memory that they can memorize everything they see Hmm. or people who are you know genius people that can you talk about abstract things, physicists, amazing scientists, physicists, or artists who can imagine things that we've never, you know, even thought about. All of those concepts is just a drop in a gigantic ocean that we yeah. cannot even see the end, we cannot even perceive where it is. So the, the
0: the more you know, the more the more you're exposed to the limits of your own knowledge. Like I say, like knowledge has this fractal structure, so the as someone specializes in like a really narrow field, they end up being exposed to all of the other just adjacent, also really narrow fields. And each of the adjacent fields is like, oh, I could do my life's work in this adjacent field in like this super narrow area. Um, And so you're surrounded by the limits of your own knowledge of the world. So it tends to leave you with a sense of, i know nothing
1: <laughs> this is like um a specific sort of um graph there's a great graph i want to talk about two graphs that sort of represent the sort of no- knowing this is the
0: whole dunning kruger thing
1: it's is it the one that basically at the beginning you think you're an expert and then you suddenly realize you know very little and as of be- time as you know and more about talking you sort of the graph grows a bit is that yeah the one? i think that's
0: the one yeah that-
1: this is the first guy I want to talk to. It's like a beginning when you're a study about something and you realize, Oh, I know quite a lot about it and your confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, if you imagine the confidence, uh, on the Y axis, so it's going up mm-hmm. and then X axis, the time we spend on a specific topic. And then at some point you're very confident about, you know, about something. And then you realize but the more you spend time on it, you realize how little you actually know because yeah. there are all many adjacent topics that actually feed into that specific topic. Mm-hmm. And then with time, you know, constant reading and studying, you realize that, oh, actually, I know a bit. And you can call yourself an expert then, but you still never reach the same level of confidence that you initially know yeah. years, years back. Yeah. And that sort of reminded me, I think, of a graph from XYCD, XKCD. if I remember it. Yeah, yeah. XKCD, sorry. Yeah. I think it was an XKCD. Yeah, that's definitely Where one, there was yeah. like the studying... A graph where there was like in high school or primary school high school it's like a circle right you learn everything ah, yeah, yeah. right? if you imagine the pie hmm. like a circle of all the knowledge we ever produced right yep. and in the very middle is the primary and high school right hmm. and then you go to university let's say and you specialise or you don't have to go to university you just specialise in something and your knowledge gains it. so it starts becoming a peak out of that little middle circle hmm. and sort of the PhD sort of work right that's what the graph was relating to mm-hmm. is that is that you do a tiny little microscopic bump in that big circle mm-hmm. um, of knowledge right so you have the tiny big and the big of peak, peak that pushes that boundary a bit and that's sort of what we were talking about that little push yeah that
0: tiny little nub on the edge of the knowledge yeah That's well, and yet, what
1: where expertise lies yeah. you know?
0: although somehow we, we we fail to generalize this lesson right because <laughs> 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 we we fail to learn from the experience of of like gaining expertise that we know almost nothing um that we should know that the fields in which we know very little we, all, we know even less than that. But yet we still feel <laughs> yes. justified in like offering our opinions about these other things. So like
1: <laughs> all listeners, this is all our opinion. There are people that probably will tell us that we are idiots, or at least we have no idea what we're talking about. And probably they are correct. So just whatever you listen to, and this advice goes to everyone, take it with a grain of salt. Just, just, just bear it out in Although, mind. Although, so I say, it's worth pointing out that
0: it's actually... It's difficult to do that, because there are studies in cognitive psychology that basically show that when we hear stuff, we more or less accept that it's true, and then we have to expend energy to be sceptical about it. So this is why it's very important to police your information diet for good quality inputs, because you don't have the energy to be sceptical about everything.
1: I think this is the problem when it comes to news as well. Because when you read news, this is what often, like the fake news, you know, a lot of appearing, appearance of fake news is, and people get overwhelmed. So, ideally, what I think, this is my, I think, advice to to the listeners, maybe you don't agree with this, Richard, but a lot of scientific literature that we read as scientists... Mm -hmm. Uh a lot of people think this is what if it's based on if it's written peer reviewed, which it should be, but sometimes they're not because there's a lot of fake journals mm. by the way everyone um there's a lot of fake journals that are there to scam scientists yeah I know it's 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 bullshit, but it happens part of my language but um it's it happens even then sometimes of those publications that were peer reviewed are an absolute atrocious quality so when you read them and you think and you know about the field you realize how badly written or the study makes basically no progress or maybe just yeah it's 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 not the best quality of study that's that performed.
0: um uh, well, i can't remember it's given some nickname someone's law which basically states that 95 percent of everything is crap and this is equally Probably as true knowing uh, no, life it's, yeah, it's a slightly different thing uh but uh and this is as true of the peer reviewed scientific literature as it is of anything else unfortunately
1: yeah. <laughs> so often more often than not we will provide while well, i'm gonna we will try to provide references to all what we talk about, and the concept is that we we will try to put you, give you links to sources that we believe are the most scientifically factually uh, correct, so a lot of peer reviewed very high highly respected book papers such as Nature or anything that um, um, we know that we can trust because it's very strictly reviewed. Well... Although, saying that, I did give links to Wikipedia, which often is not reviewed by people, but it's a good start where you can sort of learn things. Yeah, so
0: for the most part, uh, trying to actually read the original academic sources
1: is... is... We'll try to give. I mean, usually Wikipedia is a very good start to give a base, um, basic knowledge. Hmm. Because a lot of for the, a lot of science we talk about, a lot of the Wikipedia um, um, uh, articles are really good. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. They're written by actual scientists and uh, people Sometimes. who actually read their sometimes but i remember actually you know doing one on some protein or something mm. back in my university yeah. and they were it was studied based on you know papers so they're oh, often a yeah. good start but look down on the references in those papers in those articles what reference they give if they give none then maybe try to find better but the sources usually are relatively good
0: yeah. and ironically sometimes the, there's a sort of sweet point of obscurity with wikipedia Right. so if, if it's too obscure it's just one guy's opinion um, if it's too common then it's contested and disputed and it's like politically you know there's, there's fights going on between people but if it's not so obscure that it's one dude um, but it's, in a, it's obscure enough that most people aren't looking at it then it's usually done by people who kind of know what they're doing
1: um, mm. so. so yeah the conclusion of this is take everything a grain of salt but trust the sources, maybe that specialists give you, the experts give you. Well, you have, like,
0: you have no choice there, right? You know, so yeah, you have you to, really you have, have no to choice, make that gamble, I mean, right? It's a question yeah. of uh, picking out the, like, it's learning what the indicators are that someone has done a decent, skeptical, critical job of whatever their mm. work was. You have to develop kind of a a heuristic for for well done. Science, um, which is tricky. Yeah,
1: I mean, sorry. Top of, apologize to our listeners because we spent twenty minutes talking about this. Yeah, the conclusion is in this in in conclusion, but unfortunately, that's the reality. Yeah, yeah. It's, we
0: perhaps we should wrap for
1: science wise. Science wise, this tangent. We will try to give you the best sources. Oh, okay, yeah. we'll try our best. Right let's circle back <laughs> away
0: <laughs> massive tangent let's uh um, yeah. resume with uh,
1: the, some final points on the book um so sure. uh,
0: do you want to go into your predictions
1: yes, let's do my predictions um I think um the next chapter um I think Lilith will finally get to know more about Dia and his ca- and the capabilities of onkali and um we will learn more about the technology or what what the the, the, there'll be definitely something more about the technology because they discussed about the 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 species but i think there will be more now in technology and i think the chapter the next chapter will end with lilith actually finally um being led to free okay
0: Uh, how are you defining freedom
1: well i think i just imagine it like Taya standing up, and then the whole room just goes down, and then basically she's surrounded by, I don't know, like other beings like Taya, and then the Omkali, and then she just is led, led somewhere around the ship. That's what I... Admit. Okay, right,
0: so she's not released back on Earth, and left her. No, no, devices. no, no, no. I
1: think yeah. before, because he said that he, you know, all the answers should be given if she's capable of walking around his species. Mm. So I assume still that she's somewhere on the ship with surrounded by the other beings. Mm-hmm. So I assume that's what's gonna happen. I think and the reason why I'm going doing this prediction last prediction is because Richard spoiled me something, said that chapter 5 is actually much longer than chapter 3 and 4. So I think chapter 4 is just going to be her finishing, and then chapter 5 is going to be the big introduction to, to what uh, are and where she is.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I don't generally consider the length of chapters as overly spoilerific, but... Uh,
1: yeah, but you know, it might be indicative of something. Yeah, it can
0: imply something about the narrative.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway I think we should wrap up in here and okay. um, I would personally like to thank everyone who helped us to give us some feedback back Absolutely. Uh, on the first episode um, I hope that we improved on where we were lacking um, I am going to get a new microphone soon so my the voice quality will be better so I hope next maybe not episode 3 but episode 4 I'll sound more beautiful as Richard sound. So, <laughs> I, you know, let's see. Um, and thank you for listening to our episode two. Thanks, everyone.
0: This has been the Xenothesis Podcast. I've been Richard Acton. And
1: I'm Michael Glinka.
0: You can find us on uh, m- almost any podcasting service now and uh, our website, uh, xenothesis.com.
1: Yes, we are on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and YouTube. Bye. Bye.